Jazz is a spontaneous expression of divine creativity. Jazz. 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 Jazz with Kenny Anderson. I'm just honored to have as my guest today, none other than Mr. John Stoddard, born and raised in Philadelphia. What's happening, John? Kenny Anderson, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing good, man. And it is so good to have you in this particular space at this particular time. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation. Yeah, man, it is my honor. And that sentiment is uh, for sure uh, reciprocated. It's always fun. You know, we are not only colleagues, but friends. So it's uh, this is I'm always looking for an excuse, man, to just catch up, <laughs> hang out. <laughs> hey, man, it works for me if it works for you. There's no question <laughs> about that. Absolutely. And I did mention Philadelphia because, you mm-hmm. know, I grew up in New York City, but my parents ended up in Woodbury, New Jersey, which was not huh. far from Philly. Okay. And of course, there was Camden in between that. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. attended church in North Philly, Philly from time to time. Tell me okay. about your upbringing in Philly. You know, I really enjoyed growing up in Philadelphia. I don't think it hit me until I was older. Um, What an amazing place that was to grow up. There was, um, you know, culturally, there was so much there. Uh, Musically, you know, I grew up in the 70s. You know, all the great music that was in Philadelphia in the 70s. And even though I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, Christian home, we really listened to a lot of secular music. I think it must have been in the water, man. You know, every once in a while I have to channel my inner Teddy Pentagrass, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, what a great place um, to grow up, you know, a uh, great neighborhood. Like I say, great, um, um, great education, great music. Um, I had a, a really, really nurturing church community that really had a huge impact on my music. You know, my grandmother was one of the music, musicians at the church and there were a lot of, lots of kids my age. And there was lots of opportunity to uh, be engaged in music. And they just had, it was just such a great place and a great time to grow up. I'm so grateful for, uh, for my time at growing up in Philly. Hey, you know, you actually touched on something. I want to stay on this just for a moment because you reminded me about how significant the Philadelphia landscape was for music back in the 70s. You know, you mentioned Teddy P, but you had the sound of Philadelphia back yep. then, Barry White and all of the Barry, great music uh, Patty, that came Patty out LaBelle. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, those mm-hmm. are some times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and again, uh, for me, you know, I was probably, you know, my dad introduced me to um, big band, you know, Nat Cole and Sinatra. And, um, so I had that, you know, and then again with the Christian upbringing, uh, it was probably traditional because it really wasn't gospel. Um, there was a television ministry still actually active today called the breath of life. And, um, the, the music that they produced, you know, back in the seventies, uh, as a matter of fact, one of uh, two of my mentors to this day, they were arrangers for that ministry, a guy named Shelton Kilby and another guy named Adrian Westney. And, uh, they've influenced everybody from Merv Warren and the guys who take six, Mark Kibble to, uh, to people like me. <laughs> You know, and so um, the, the wealth and the diversity of the music that I got exposed to there, you know, like so you mentioned that the R&B that was just in the water, you know, later on, you had groups like Boys to Men and Will Smith came out of Philly. 
um, it, just so much great music, man, that uh, I'm just glad to be associated with uh, the great history, music history that Philadelphia has. And at the intersection of those experiences, of course, is the fact that you're a classically trained musician. You started relatively early in life, around 12, 13, something like that, perhaps, um, which is, to me, an advanced age. I actually started taking piano lessons at 15. And of course, for me, there was no hope because I had discovered (laughs) so much more. (laughs) What was that early experience like for you? Yes. So I actually started playing when I was really, really young, like three, four years old. And um, I grew up in a musical house, so I had older brother and sister, uh, blended family, so they were nine and ten years older than I was. And uh, I grew up in times where you were going to take some kind of music lesson. You know, you had it in, in, in schools, you were going to take an instrument, trumpet, clarinet, something, you know, piano lessons. So my, my older siblings were taking piano lessons, and my dad tells a story, I don't even remember this, he said I would sit while they were doing their lessons and just watch And one day when I was about three or four, I climbed up on the piano and started poking around. And um, my dad said, wait a minute, I think he's trying to figure out what it was that his older siblings were were doing in their lesson. So that was my earliest, uh, you know, recollection of playing the piano, at least my my dad's earliest recollection of me playing the piano. And so I studied with with teachers, neighborhood teachers, if you would, um, till I was about. 12 or 13. And um, uh, there was a, a man, actually a couple in Philadelphia on the church choral scene, Gwen and Alan Foster. And uh, Alan Foster heard me play and he pulled my mom aside and said, you need to get him somewhere where he can really begin studying uh, more seriously. And uh, I, I was blessed to be able to go to the settlement school of music where I, I got introduced to music theory and, uh, you know, I got to study with the piano uh, teacher who was working on her doctorate at Temple and, um, you know, be around other kids who were my age, really, really engrossed in the classical music thing. And uh, a, a little anecdote, um, years, years later, I was working on a jazz session on a, on a record for Kirk Whalen, um, Grammy Award winning saxophonist with that I've worked with for many, many years. So working on this record in New York, and the uh, it was just a, uh, a who's who of session musicians. Christian McBride was playing bass. Um, little John Roberts was playing drums. And, you know, we're just chatting. It was my first time, you know, working with Christian uh, in that capacity. And uh, so we're just talking about, he said, oh, man, you're from Philly. I'm from Philly. Really? Wow. Well, you know, where, where'd you go? He said, oh, man, I went to settlement. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> settlement? Long story short, comes to find out that um, Joey D. Francesco, Christian, um, Lil John, those guys were all at settlement on the jazz side. Mm. The same time I was there on the classical side at studying, and it wasn't until years and years later that we got to become friends and know each other. So that again, just another example of the music that was in Philly at that time in the seventies and eighties. And that's a phenomenal backstory. And mm-hmm. I know there's so much more to tell in this particular space that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to Kirk Whalem in a moment, but I want okay. to first of all ask you about just the fact that you've had this lengthy, successful music career. Was this always what you saw for yourself? You went to school, you majored in music and piano, uh, and that's what happened. But is that what you really saw for yourself? 
Uh, I don't know if I quite processed it that way. You know, uh, not only did I grow up in a musical house, but I grew up uh, with my dad as an entrepreneur. And uh, the primary breadwinner, I would say, so my mom worked, she was a teacher's aide, um, but she worked at the school that I went to school at, the grade school that I went to school at. And really her focus was more sort of on the homemaking side. And my dad um, was an entrepreneur. He worked as a general contractor doing home improvement. And again, fast forward all these years later, me and all of my siblings are all entrepreneurs. Um, so I think the idea of working for myself was something that I got really early. And uh, I was also a business major as a business, uh, business management, um, business administration major at the same, or business marketing, sorry, major at the same time I was doing music. So I was the kid who walked around with the bow tie and suspenders on, believe it or not, in, uh, in college and <laughs> high school. That was kind of kind of corny, you know, the ultimate nerd. Um, but I loved music uh, in high school. I started fooling with music producing and arranging and songwriting and knew that it would play some sort of role. I never didn't really think of myself as being an artist. Yeah, I went through a 10 or 12 year uh, uh, period where I didn't sing. You know, I was so shy and still I, I much prefer to sit at the piano. You know, I didn't stand up front. But um, but I knew that music would play a role. I just wasn't exactly sure what it would be. And uh, when I just look back over my story and how God put together my um, my uh, path, you know, um, I can I can see it's like, oh, wow, man, I, I met that person at that time. And if I hadn't met that person, then I wouldn't have gone there. And because of that, I was able to do this. And it's just fascinating to see how your story evolves over time, even if you don't have a specific well, I know I want to do these things. Um, God is still has a way of guiding and orchestrating, uh, has always guided and orchestrated my, my steps. Early on, you didn't know, but there was certainly a point where you thought, mm, this might be it. There may be something happening here. What was that experience like? If maybe there was something specific going on at that time, but tell us about yeah. it. I would say probably in college, you know, uh, I went to Washington, what is now Washington Adventist University, which is in the D.C. metro area in the late 80s, early 90s. And again, just like Philly was for me in the 70s, DC, uh, the DC area in the early 90s was just, I mean, an amazing place to be. There was, um, you know, uh, I don't know that I had been in a place where there were that many focused, like about stuff, black, young black people. Um, so, I, I mean, just the energy in the city was incredible. There was jazz and there was gospel and, um, you know, there were great churches. And then there's the Black Family Reunion. And then, the, you know, there's the universities and just you know, politics. It's just an amazing place to, to, to spend time and spend that part of my life. And so I was playing pipe organ, believe it or not, at a, at a church for a guy named Whitley Phipps. Is he, uh, some of you may know that name. Um, he's a speaker and pastor, um, author, and musician. And uh, he, I played uh, really unique bass voice. And uh, I, was, so I was playing pipe organ at his church. And um, I remember him calling me one day and he had this deep voice said, John, he says, you're like a carpenter with no tools. <laughs> and long story short, he, he was working on a new record. And um, he had bought all this uh, 
electronic equipment, studio equipment, you know, and he figured that if he had the right studio equipment, a lot of people still think this, that if he had the right studio equipment, he could make a really good record. Then he realized, he said, now nah, it didn't take him long to realize, man, I guess I need to know how to use this stuff and <laughs> play an instrument. Um, but long story short, he said, listen, man, if you do the music for my record, um, you can have all this stuff. And that was how I got my first probably about $10,000 worth of studio equipment. And uh, he's uh, still a dear friend and, and a great mentor. Told me a lot about songwriting. And that was my first record as a producer. Um, mm. There were great groups in that area, spur of the moment. Um, I was doing a lot of what we call independent music production, working with artists who were not uh, signed with major labels, but, you know, really active on the local scene. Um, I worked a lot at a studio called Night Flight. Um, the owner is a guy named Kevin Jackson who married Stacy Lattisaw. So he mixed my first record and we sort of came up in the music uh, industry together. And so DC was a great, great, great place to be. You know, I played also pipe organ at the great Metropolitan Baptist Church on Sundays where Richard Smallwood was one of the musicians. So, you know, I got to sit across the uh, rostrum and look at Richard Smallwood and hear him do his thing. Um, uh, every week. So to, to be a part of that lineage. And again, more backstory, Richard was at Howard sort of as Donnie Hathaway and Roberta were there and leaving. So when Donnie left to sort of begin doing his solo thing, Richard inherited all the like choirs that he played for and the groups and so on. So I feel in some ways, uh, as a result of my uh, time being able to really um, sit and watch and get to know and spend time with Richard Smallwood, that I got a connection to Donnie Hathaway, which a lot of people tell me, you know, that my voice and my style kind of reminds me of Donnie sometimes. So I attribute my time with Richard um, to that. So just some great examples of, of um, what it was like and how I felt like, OK, maybe I can do this. I was was living with my older sister. You know, she uh, she let me uh, crash in our at her house all through college. And for those first probably four or five years afterwards where I was trying to get my feet, you know, on the ground. So, she, you know, she and her husband were a really huge part of um, helping me be able to get started in, the, in, in a really, really competitive uh, music industry. So, yeah, that's when I started feeling like, OK, maybe I can do this. You know, I love this, John, because all I'm doing is pushing a button and you're just kind of unwinding <laughs> and just sharing all this good stuff. Okay. I got to remember to stop. You're like, okay, Kenny probably has questions. No, I, I don't want to no, ramble too much. No, man. No, no. Let it flow, man, because I've got all this music bouncing around in my head okay. right now because the names you're talking about are just revealing so many memories that are so mm -hmm. valuable and treasured in yeah, this music yeah. space that we're talking about. So I'm just enjoying the conversation. I'm a, yes, I'm just a passerby yes, yes. just <laughs> in a little bit and listening to the great conversation um, that we're yeah. having today. When I take the time to think back about all the people and experiences who have contributed um, and who have sacrificed you know, to help me along my journey, I, I'm just so grateful. And um, it's one of the reasons why I really am compelled to try to do the same you know, when there are younger musicians who are trying to get going or looking for advice or looking for whatever, um, if there's something that I can do to help, um, I just I'm compelled to do it because there's so many um, just great people who who believed and encouraged and sowed and sacrificed and, you know, um, instilled uh, uh, excellence, you know, uh, in me at a young age. So uh, I'm just grateful for it. 
close the door and dim the lights No more worshiping tonight I'm so afraid that this nightmare might be real The flash of light, the sound of steel The touch of hate to make me feel I can never see the light again Feel safe again But I hate we Love could rescue me, me. Only love can rescue me, rescue me. Only love can rescue me. An open door, I thought a friend, but I let the day. It's taking over, but it's not over Yet it's a fight to the death Just to live with no regret And have to wonder if I had tried again What might have been But fear will never, ever win The love could
That was John Stoddard and Rescue Me, a song that he co-wrote with his daughter Annalise. And now back to the John Stoddard interview on jazz with Kenny Anderson. John, you wear so many hats. You're an instrumentalist, you're a producer, you're a composer, you are a, a, a vocalist. You're so many things. Um, and I'm not trying to put you in a box, but at this point in your life, what do you, how do you describe yourself? What do you see yourself as? And of course, <laughs> this being, you know, right. with Kenny Anderson, I know that's part mm-hmm. of what you do. Gospel is part mm-hmm. of what you do and some other things is what you do. How do you describe yourself right now? Uh, I don't really know, man. That, 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 I'm at a point in my journey to where um, uh, that's a question that I've been asking myself more and more and not, you know, out of angst necessarily, but just, you know, when I think about my experiences and my skills, let's say, uh, you know, what, what, are, what are my interests? Uh, is there an intersection as, as the music industry in particular continues to evolve and change so quickly? Um, you know, I've really been thinking about, you know, where, where, what would be a, a, what would be the, the thing that I want to really walk towards or march towards over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I fully have the answer to it, but one of the things that I have been thinking in that um, the, the direction that I seem to be leaning is um, I've always admired uh, musicians and producers and artists who can stand at the intersection of a variety of genres and really do them well. And um, so people like Quincy Jones, you know, uh, come to mind. He's probably one of the few actually who could do a hip hop record as a producer and then turn around and do Barbara Streisand. Um, George Duke, who I got a chance to work with. I mean, he's another guy who could, you know, do Mirwood Suites with orchestra and then, you know, um, you know, play with Cannonball. You know, he was, he was one of those guys. And so, uh, and then he and then um, George, especially because he was a pianist like me, um, he was a singer, you know, like I am. Um, so he's a person I, I relate to, even though our music is different. Um, he was just such a beautiful guy and it was always very generous to me. So when I think about what's next um, for me, there's a lot of collaboration. That's that's probably a key word. Um, um, that's probably my keyword going forward is particularly with younger artists and producers, you know, people who I think um, have unique and singular gifts and who I feel like um, I can contribute something to either it's um, experience or just a perspective, perhaps that's a little different. Um, But yeah, I'm excited as I think about what's coming up next. And, And again, as a singer, um, as an instrumentalist, it, I feel like it puts me in a unique position to be able to really explore. And I'm working with a friend of mine now who's writing a Broadway thing. And so he calls me from time to time to help with arranging um, all the way to uh, a group that's uh, just started by uh, one of the top choral conductors in the world. A guy named Jason Ferdinand has just started the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers. So I'm orchestrating, you know, classical stuff and performing with them. 
Um, all the way to uh, this week, I just recorded a buddy of mine called me that I went to college with, a songwriter. He's from Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, uh, estoy aprendiendo español. So it was just so uh, I'm working on my Spanish. So help me with that. It's one of my hobbies. <laughs> but uh, Elsford Danis called me literally last week. I haven't spoken with him in, it's got to be 20, 25 years. And mm. just out of the blue, he wrote this beautiful, uh, inspirational song called You Will Rise Again. And he did it in Spanish and wanted to do an English version and thought of me to do the lead vocal on the two. Wow. So um, on the English version. So just, again, all over the map, you know, um, still doing jazz stuff with, with Kirk Whalem. Uh, and then again, as an entrepreneur, just trying to keep your hands in a variety of things. I think that's the name of the game these days as well. So, um, yeah, so diversity, uh, to get back to your question, diversity, I would say a lot of collaboration. Um, I, I really want to, to, to keep exploring and keeping my hands in as many different genres as I can. Uh, one of the ways in which I think at least the way music is consumed, maybe, is, um, is that uh, people tend to think more in terms of moods than genres. So, um, you know, what that does is for a person like me who likes to do a lot of different things, it, it, it allows you to be able to live and create outside of the box. So is this pop or is this jazz or is this blues or is this gospel or whatever? And be able to just sort of do something that you feel like speaks to something, a human emotion or a mood um, and, and just let it be what it, whatever it's going to be. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, particular way in which music has evolved. Let me ask you about the Kirk Whalum relationship. Of course, that's one of the ones that's most prominent in your life. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen you guys perform together. It's almost like a hand in a glove. Yes. You're so comfortable with each other. Tell me about how that relationship began and how it has evolved over the years. Yeah, Kirk Whalum is for sure uh, a musical soulmate um, from the first note that we played together it felt like we had been playing together our entire lives i mean it just from the first note first note and uh, we met actually uh, he had just left columbia records <laughs> to hear him tell it unceremoniously dropped from columbia records um and uh, was looking for a new deal and was being courted by warner brothers and again same with me i had just um I was working on my Love Surreal, my very first CD, and uh, um, producer, uh, actually he's a mix engineer, uh, had mixed something uh, that I had worked on, and you know, we were just sharing our music, and he said, oh man, this is great. So he was sort of a staff A&R guy for Warner Jazz as well, and this is uh, you know, the Warner heyday. I mean, they had everybody from George Duke to Bob James and Joe Sample and Al Jarreau and Bodie James. And, I mean, it just, um, uh, Christian McBride, Joshua Redman, they just had, and Rick Braun, um, uh, Norman Brown. I mean, the list just went on. So it was this sort of one, of one of the heydays, I will say, if not one of the great times in the history of Warner Jazz. And uh, I, I, we jokingly say that I think that maybe um, because we were both Christians, Kirk and I, that um, the A&R guy maybe wanted to make sure we weren't trying to proselytize him. <laughs> so he introduced Kirk and I to each other 
And he called me at my house one day and he said, man, this is uh, Kirk Whalem. I just want you to know, man, I'm a fan of yours. I'm like, what? I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> um, he's a big language guy. He loves languages. And I recorded a song on my first record in Spanish. And I think perhaps that was the thing that resonated with him. And uh, he called me for a gig. It was a duo gig, just um, piano and saxophone. And um, again, from the very first note, it was just like, man, man it's just this feels right. I knew where he wanted to go and he knew, you know, it's just, we just felt like, it's like, okay, that's where he's going. And it's just, it just from the very beginning was always, um, there was always, you know, synergetic. And, um, and here we are. I mean, that was probably 96, 97. So here we are over 20 some years later and uh still making music together and still enjoying it you know <laughs> you know that, there's a lot of significance Brothers. in that yeah absolutely i mean what a journey when you think yeah. about it and mm -hmm. uh, i mean you mentioned some of the big names that uh, were part of the label at that time and of course oh. i want to just kind of <laughs> inject your own personal big name <laughs> of people you had a chance to work with uh, uh -huh. celine dion sandy patty alex rowe uh, Darren Atwater and the Soulful uh, Symphony, Will Downing, Take Six, Patty Austin. And of course, your list goes on and on and on. My question for you, John, is how do you prepare whenever you have these opportunities to work mm. with these performers? What's your process in terms of preparation? Uh, I don't know that there's preparing to work with them. I, I think the preparation is something that has happened over time, you know, so you're always developing and always working on your skills so that when you get in a situation, um, you, you are prepared. Um, and then there's the, the just sort of professional skills like being on time, you know, um, learning to listen, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, taking care of business the right way, you know, those sorts of things. I think position you to be able to, as you're working with different artists, do what you do. It's like, this is what I always do, you know? Um, and, um, and at the end of the day, most of those people are just musicians like you. And, um, you know, I, I met David Foster on that Celine Dion session, and uh, I was one of the background singers for, for that record. And when I walked into the studio, um, David was sitting at the piano. I'm a huge fan of his, and it's my first time meeting him. And uh, so he's sitting and playing, you know, and he looks at me, says, do you play? I said, well, I play a little bit, you know. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it wasn't anything in particular that I said, oh, I'm going to go meet David Foster today. So I got to do X, Y, and Z. It was, hey, this is what I do. And I, I like to believe that, you know, that over time you begin to build those skills and a reputation of being able to, being able to do uh, what needs to be done in a, in a certain situation. And so, for example, in that session, by about halfway through, um, you know, I was arranging the parts. You know, I, I wasn't hired as an arranger, but when they were trying to figure out a particular harmony, I would just say, okay, you sing this, you sing this, and you sing that. And after a while, David said, hey, would you, would you hey, John, what parts are, you know, should we do at this next section? And not that I took over, but he recognized in, in that moment that that was a skill set that just kind of came out. I wasn't trying to take over a showboat. I just, those were the parts that we needed to sing. And so I was able to communicate them. And, uh, and so he noticed. And so that was just an example of how something that I learned, you know, when I was six and seven singing in harmony back at my little church, West Philadelphia, Seventh-day Adventist, that here, you know, 20, 30 years later, um, is a skill that pops up 
Um, and, you know, you do it in a, in a way that's humble, but confident. And, and I think people can respect it and they, they value it. And then over time, that reputation begins mm-hmm. to, to precede you. So yeah, you, you get known. You get no. <laughs> and hey, for the good stuff and the bad. <laughs> well, you know, listen, there's something instructive in that too, especially yeah. those that are up and coming and want to mm-hmm. be in that space and want to be successful to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um it's too late to prepare in the moment. The preparation, mm-hmm. you know, comes when nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um that's just something that I firmly believe um in in every part of your life, you know, spiritually. You know, um, who you are um, in front of everybody, I think, is is really informed and influenced by who you are when you're not in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and my goal, I don't always make it there, but my goal is to be that same person, the, the person that I am when I'm by myself or when I'm in front of the people I wanted to be congruent with that person who I am when uh, when nobody's looking and the same thing as a musician you know uh, i meet these young musicians men that are so gifted and they make me go back and practice you ask hey man how much do you practice i'm like Whoo! uh meeting you is making me want to go back and practice some more you know i don't get to do i'm doing different things now so my life is a little different um so i don't get to spend three and four hours practicing the piano like i did in those younger younger days but hopefully the groundwork that i laid or didn't lay <laughs> In those years, <laughs> I get to reap the benefit or not reap the benefit of them here. And it's just so exciting to um, to be a part of what's going on in music and to see, in particular, um, what's happening with with a, a lot of this generation that's right behind me doing just some really incredible things in music. And uh, it's just exciting to see and to watch. You know, I absolutely have to ask you about the work-life balance before we... Uh, <laughs> shut this down because okay. uh, you're married, mm-hmm. two beautiful daughters. Uh, yes. I want to ask you what impact, what influence has uh, your uh, being a family man, being a husband, father had on your music uh, experience, just the work that you produce and, and perform? Yeah. Uh, well, there are songs for sure. Let me first start by saying that probably my most known song is a song that I wrote called Angel. And uh, it's a song that I wrote for Helen, my wife of now uh, 20, it'll be 22 years, three years this year, 23 years this year. And um, so I've written songs for my kids. Um, uh, and so so that's sort of the romantic part of uh, <laughs> having a family and being a musician. Um, and being and having that as a part of your life, I guess the uh, the reality is, is, you know, you come home off the road where you might have security guards and, you know, people asking for your autograph and, you know, you come home and you got to take out the trash, and, you know, <laughs> do the laundry. <laughs> got to be a regular guy. <laughs> you got to be a regular guy. You know, they are not impressed. They are not impressed by who you think you, who you, who you think you are, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I would say in, in all fairness, there probably are decisions that I made that influenced my career that um, like there's sacrifices, I'll say, that I made. Um, and, I, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, man, I, wonder, I wonder if I had moved there or if I had done such and such and such and such. But, you know, um, I look at so many people in this industry and I'm grateful to have mentors that have, at least to my eye, um, 
marriages in particular that have stood the test of time. I mentioned Whitley Phipps, um, Kirk and Ruby, uh, George and, uh, and his wife, Kareen, um, who were married um, for all those years. And um, I can't help but think that there are choices that we have to make along the way, even career choices that um, may be considered a sacrifice in the moment, but that I think at the end of the day, you know, um, I think about George and Kareen, you know, she passed about a year before George did. And um, I think that he just didn't see the point of being here without her. Mm. Um, and ironically, I think that's the reason he was able to make the music, not so much because he put the music first, but because he put love first. And, uh, and I saw it when they were together, you know, um, and so I try to, you know, Wentley the same way. I, I try to take that as my mantra and say, hey, you know, I don't think you can go wrong when you try to put love first. You know, um, you can only make better music if you put in love first. So that's the, the mantra I try to look and like. Not only are you an instrumentalist, vocalist, uh, arranger, composer, you're also a sage full of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and John started, listen, man, even more than the fact that I think you are an extraordinary person in the field in which you operate, you are a phenomenal friend. And I thank you for this opportunity to be able to talk to you today. Thank you for being such a wonderful and gracious guest on Jazz with Kenny Anderson. Thanks so much. Jazz with Kenny Anderson is a partnership with Jazz in the Park Huntsville and is produced by David Person for David Person Media, LLC. The theme music was written and produced by Kelvin Wooten. Damian Malone provides podcast platform management. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Jazz with Kenny Anderson.